Hey there, you guys. Dave Debo here with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wished that you could have somebody who knew how to crunch the numbers when it comes to big deals to take a look over your shoulder and see if you're doing what you're up to is up to snuff? Well, today's guest, that's what he does for a living. Michael Gillespie is a real estate entrepreneur. He is a commercial real estate investment advisor, which means he's not a realtor. He's not a broker, although he is, but he advises people on how to get into big deals and how to crunch the numbers properly. So he's definitely got a ton of experience in this. Phenomenal background. This guy was a Green Beret for, I believe, over a decade. Is that right, Mike? That's All right. That's, that is just way too cool. So Green Beret, tough guy, did some cool stuff and now is in the real estate space. He's built up a significant portfolio for himself, over 134 doors in his personal portfolio. And he's worked in all sorts of areas around finance and around raising capital. So it's a real pleasure to have you on the show here today, Michael. Absolutely. The pleasure's all mine, David. I greatly appreciate it. All right. So let's dive right in because what we're going to be talking about today is fascinating because I cut my teeth in real estate investing way, way, way back in the day in the early 2000s, doing creative, low money, no money down type deals, Ron Legrandi type stuff with single family homes. And what we're going to be talking about here today is how to apply some of that creativity for bigger deals, multifamily type properties. So Michael, why don't you tell us just how did you first come into this whole realization that, hey, you can apply creativity to big deals, not just to small deals. Absolutely. As you mentioned, when I served my time in the military, a lot of about being in that capacity is using creative problem solving for whatever is given to you in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't necessarily have the best equipment. We have what we have and we need to figure out how to be resourceful with it. Well, that transferred over into single family rentals is where I, I started. And so one of my first deals was actually a subject to, okay. if your audience is familiar with that, where the deed transferred over, but the mortgage stayed and the seller's name. Yeah. And I continued to apply that until I accumulated a little over 30 doors. And I started thinking, wow. I could continue to do this, but why don't I just apply the same concept to larger deals? And so slowly over time, I was still doing the same processes as I was doing for the single family side, doing the cold calling and building rapport with the sellers. But what I started to find is a lot of those sellers started to have more properties they wanted to sell. And okay. so it was just a negotiation of basically bigger numbers, different numbers. But it's so, buy, the same so buying a portfolio instead of just a single house kind of thing. Exactly. The whole exactly. Thing. Very cool. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then as most of your audience is aware, when you're when you're in the negotiation process, period. It's really about identifying what that seller truly desires, what they really want and what they need. Yeah. And, you know, with the past experience I had, I was able to apply, okay, what is it that, do you need cash flow? Do you need lump sum? Do you need liability relief? What is it? And then I apply the creative solutions from there. Very, very cool. So can you give us some examples of some creative creativity that you've applied to bigger deals like apartment type buildings? Yeah, Absolutely. So one of the one of the biggest deals or one of the, I guess, keystone deals in, in my career was the first apartment, I'm sorry, the first hotel that we acquired. Okay. And I served for a small amount of time as a chief financial officer for a private equity firm where we focused on hotel acquisitions. Now, during this, we highlighted limited service hotels 
that had a franchise base because we found that it was much more of a, a turnkey model, if you will. We could just simply go in there, optimize the operation, increase the NOI, and then our investors can get their return back. While so we're going so what, is, the, what does a limited service hotel mean? What, what is, what's an example of that? Yeah, absolutely. Limited service essentially means we are cutting out the services that we provide to the people that are staying there. So when you think of, yeah, when you think of uh, your bed ain't getting made no more. Exactly. (laughs) Cleaning's cleaning's no longer included. Yeah, we'll we'll leave some Clorox and you got to clean the rest of it. (laughs) So we did, you know, the standard stuff, the room maintenance, but we had very limited breakfast, uh, right? So it was common self-serve. There was no room service. There was no on-site restaurant. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And so you could think of this as like a comfort inn or a right. holiday and express type thing. Lines. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so by focusing on those, again, the franchise model, if you will, or the brand model had uh, already a, a sequence of operations that all we had to do was go in and just follow those. We also found that it was a lot less overhead. And so mm-hmm. when you are focusing on limited service, it almost directly mirrors apartment complexes. Mm-hmm. And that was where my experience came from prior to that. So as we were negotiating, this actually happened right when COVID hit, right when the pandemic Uh hit. And as you're probably aware and your audience is too, Warren (laughs) Buffett says, be greedy when others are fearful, right? And be fearful when others are greedy. Everybody backed out of the hotel space. Everybody was concerned about traveling arrangements and, you know, all of this stuff. Yeah. So we went in there. the, The seller was actually scared as well. So we found a way to actually assume his current loan, which is about 600,000. We did a seller carry back for another 350000 or so, and it had a recent appraisal just two months prior for $1.7 million. Ooh, well, that's good. But we were yeah. able to buy in to this mass amount of equity. So when it came to raising capital, we really just raised the capital for the project improvement plan, but it was a much easier sell for the investors when they saw that we could turn around and sell it and get their money back. Yeah, you, you already had over $700,000 in, in equity built into that deal. So what did you actually have to, just out of curiosity, because I've stayed yeah. in a, plenty of those kind of hotels, what did you have to do to kind of trans, you know, change that hotel around and, and get it up to stuff? Absolutely. So it was all about the room improvement. The hallway flooring had to be improved. The actual breakfast area, or the I want to call it the dining facility, if you will, right? We had to upgrade that. Primarily, it all based in the rooms themselves. We had to change out the mattresses, the mm. floor plan just slightly. And then on the exterior, we had to upgrade the appearance with different painting, landscaping, the sign changed just slightly. And it was lucky for us that there was a whole bunch of deferred maintenance from that previous seller because he Mm -hmm. didn't want to abide by those new changes. So we were actually able to go in and by agreeing to have it done within a certain amount of time, we were also able to negotiate a discount with the franchising company as well. with the hotel. So this was an existing franchise, but the guy wasn't keeping it up to snuff. So they were getting... That caused a lot of friction with the franchisor, that's for sure. So you were able to go in there, get all of this done, bring it up to snuff, and then you turned it around and sold it again? Is that you kind of flipped it or did you guys hold on to that property? Yeah, so we sold it. We actually looked at refinancing it, mm-hmm. uh, returning the investor's capital, and then just using it for another one. But that one we ended up selling. Okay, very cool. Wow, that's another fantastic idea. Hold on to that thought for a sec. We'll be right back. Now, are you a real estate investor who's run out of cash or credit to grow your portfolio? Are you looking to grow your portfolio using other people's money and raising capital? Well, I want to show you how to raise six figures or more in six weeks or less at my upcoming Investor Attraction Workshop. You can get your ticket and find out all about it at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. We're going to spend a full day taking a deep dive into this roadmap 
that I've used to raise millions for my deals, and I've helped other people just like you cumulatively raise hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for their deals as well. So again, you can check that out at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. And as a loyal listener to the podcast, you'll get 50% off your ticket when you use the discount code podcast. That's right. Discount code podcast at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. See you at the next workshop. All right. So that's a great example of a hotel. How about any examples coming to mind, especially with your personal portfolio or somebody you've worked with very closely for a multifamily building? Absolutely. So there was another portfolio that we acquired. I had already built rapport with the seller and it was primarily focused so, on so five question years. here. How did, how did you connect with, how did you find the seller in the first place? Cause it sounds like you've gotten very good at dealing directly with the seller and kind of bypassing brokers, if I'm not mistaken, is, would that be correct or? Yeah, that, that's right. So in the beginning I did what, you know, most of the gurus, if you say, <laughs> will will recommend, which is I did skip tracing, right? I okay. looked at the home that I wanted. I then found the owner and I called and emailed and door knocked until they responded. And I let them know I was interested. And over time now, mind you, this took six to seven months before the seller was even willing to sit down with me and say, okay, let's talk. And mm-hmm. by the time that that actually came up, of course, there was other competition at yeah. her table as well, right? She was like, well, now I got a whole bunch of other people interested. So by building that rapport, it was this beautiful five unit. And I knew after the conversation that she had access to a a much larger portfolio Mm. that she was looking to slowly sell over time. So in my mind, I was I was thinking her ultimate goal is to she was well in her 80s. She wanted to kind of downsize a little bit. Get the hell out. Yeah, get out (laughs) and spend more time with her family. Yeah. So I wanted to make it very, very easy for her. So that first deal with that five unit, and it was still a great deal numbers wise. I ended up paying about three hundred thousand dollars for the five unit. And as soon as it closed, the floodgates kind of opened, if you will, for the other Mm. portfolio. And so in my mind, what I was able to do was treat that original purchase as a down payment, if you will, to get access to the rest of the portfolio. Right. With that being said, this, I'll tell you about a portfolio that we lost on. So that portfolio was uh, ended up being 21 units very specifically. And so we were able to kind of take five units and grow to 21. There was another, it was five quadruplexes. So the portfolio was 20 units. And me and my a partner of mine were both service members. So we have access to the VA loan. Okay. And this was a name or a, a technique coined by her. Her name is Shelby Osborne. She's, she's a <laughs> very smart woman. She said, hey, why don't we just use our VA loans to buy two of the quads? We'll pay maximum dollar. And then we'll try to seller finance the other three. Hmm. And so we'll use our VAs as down payments, essentially, for the seller finance on the portfolio. Uh, she liked to coin that Max Bang. <laughs> Max Bang. I like it. Yeah, uh, Max Bang for your buck. It, yeah, it's never it's never happened or it's never uh, seen all the way through completion for us. But that's another type of creative approach we like to use or creative lens we like to use when looking at portfolios. Very, very cool. Interesting. So, Michael, I'm a little bit off topic here, but it, it's something I was thinking about before we jumped on the call. And that is I've interviewed a number of vets, a number of ex-military folks, or actually even active military folks who are very successful real estate investors. And I, especially for your case, I'm thinking, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the skills that you've learned and, and accumulated through your military experience, number one, discipline, right? That's That's huge. That's something that most of the rest of us don't have the faintest clue of in comparison to especially Green Beret, 
So discipline, that creativity that you're talking about, and then also probably perspective, because I'm not sure, I'm, I'm sure if you're in, in the military for a decade, anytime in the last decade, you probably saw some pretty active service. And I'm, I'm going to guess that when you put things in perspective and all the stuff that scares the crap out of most people about doing a real estate deal, when you compare that to somebody shooting at you and, you know, live munitions going off all around you, it kind of, it probably brings your level of nervousness down several notches. If you can just kind of put things in perspective compared to life and death. Talk to me a little bit about that. What's, what's kind of your take? on some of the unfair advantages, I wouldn't say unfair advantages, but some of the advantages that being coming from the military gives you when it comes to real estate investing? This is a great question. A lot of people tend to think that service members have no fear, right? And they and they're, it's, the fear is kind of trained out of them and they go in just blindly and-, and Well, you know, we, I would of, say- <laughs> Well, not blindly. Yeah, not yeah, blindly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But, you know, just like inhibition's kind of gone type of thing. Right, right. And that's not the case. I think everybody can can fully understand and resonate that anytime you're doing something new, period, it is a little bit alarming. And for veterans, very specifically, it's coming from the stability of a paycheck twice mm-hmm. a month with all the benefits, venturing into something that could be risky, especially if they don't have an investment background. Right. But once we overcome that, I think the real, you know, I'll say advantage, if you will, but the real advantage that most service members have is... We spent a lifetime or a career of being resourceful, Mm. not having all of the resources, but doing the most with what we have. And so when we can take that into any other industry, any other field, a lot of times, even, you know, employers will say, we really enjoy hiring um, people with military experience, because when you give us a problem set, we're going to look at it black and white. We understand your objective. We're going to add what we can. We know what we have to work with, and we will get it done. And and when you take that into real estate, it really allows us to get very creative because we don't necessarily only think in the 20% down 30 year investment. We think of how can we use a variable rate mortgage to structure this deal, maybe bridge loan it, refinance in year three, but we're not done. Whatever equity we have left over, let's use that as the down payment on the and so forth and so on. So I think that's really the real advantage that most service members have. Excellent. What about teamwork? Because again, so much of your military background as well revolves around working as part of a team. And some of the rest of us that haven't had that experience, we're kind of like Lone Ranger type, you know, rugged individualists that really works against us versus, you know, coming from that background and be able to kind of figure out, okay, who's good at what and who should we, who should we have focusing on what that sort of thing? What, what can you tell me about that? Yeah, I think most service members come out originally thinking a Lone Ranger style as well. But uh, I always, and you've been a guest on our military cash flow podcast, and on there, we're always trying to educate the veterans to look at everything you do from a military lens. And the military is a very large organization. It's an enterprise. It's a business. Mm -hmm. And even though I had my very specific skill set, let's just say something was wrong with my radios, there was somebody I would go to. There is, if I needed to request certain supplies, there is somebody I would go to. And when you look at it from that type of lens, we understand that we are good technicians in our lane. Mm. And now we just need to find the technicians in other lanes, legal, accounting, contracting, plumbing, whatever the case is. And once you can build that same infrastructure that we resonated with in the military, you really start to begin to be able to scale your business to whatever it is that you imagine it to be. 
Fantastic. Michael, this has been absolutely fascinating. As always, thank you so much for your insights and bringing some of that creativity out of the small deals into the big deals. If people want to find out more about Michael Glassby and what you're up to and your podcast and all the great stuff that you do, what should they do? How can they find out more? Absolutely. The podcast is Military Cashflow. You can also go to the website, militarycashflow.com. And if you guys just want to follow me for the sake of it, my Instagram is michael.s.glassby. And my LinkedIn is Michael Glassby as well. All right. We'll make sure we got all that in the show notes. Michael, so, thank you so much again for being on the show. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thank you again. All right, everybody. Take care. And we'll see you on the next episode. Well, hey there. Thanks for tuning into the Property Profits Podcast. If you like this episode, that's great. Please go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. Give us a good review. That'd be awesome. I appreciate that. And if you're looking to attract investors and raise capital for your deals, then I'm going to invite you to get a complimentary copy of my newest book right back there. There it is. The Money Partner Formula. You can get a PDF version at InvestorAttractionBook.com. Again, InvestorAttractionBook.com. Take care.